Welcome back to Eating Adventures, a food search exploring must-eats in notable restaurants. Order up. I'm Chloe. And I'm Haley. And today is a super special episode as we're joined by Simon Akello, founder of the organization One Vibe Africa. He was raised in the slums of Minyata in Kisumu and founded his platform to establish a music and art center to encourage his peers and the citizens to engage in cultural, artistic, and musical education. Akello is changing the narrative of Africa, not only through his podcast, African Father in America, but also through One Vibes Mataraka Festival, which is an annual music celebration established in 2014 that has reached over 3 million people worldwide. Simon connects people with his platform through the media of music and voices. Thank you so much, Simon, for joining Eating Ventures today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm so impressed by your your professionalism and, uh, your, you know, just the pre-show work that you all did. And uh, I'm just honored to be here. Yeah, thank you so much for coming. We're hey, so excited. Uh, yes, we're very happy to have you. And thank you ta- for um, taking time out of your day to come here. Of course, of course. It's an honor and uh, I just love uh, what you all do and your commitment to your craft because, um, you know, broadcast whether it's podcasting radio uh or vlog you know it's it takes commitment it's not easy so i just love how you guys are just incredible (laughs) thank you thank you yeah so to start off let's talk about your organization one vibe africa why did you decide to create one vibe africa well you know uh as you said earlier i grew up in manyata uh which is the largest slum in Kisumu, Kenya. And Kisumu is the third largest city in Kenya. And uh, Kisumu is right on Lake Victoria. And Lake Victoria is the largest lake in Africa. So when you're looking at the map of Africa, the biggest water body within the continent, that's Lake Victoria. And I grew up right by the lake. Uh, When you look at the history of Kenya and also the history of Africa in general, um you find that uh about 60 years ago actually more maybe 100 years ago now um uh, the british and the germans uh, and many other colonialists uh including the portuguese and the and, and the spanish they colonized africa for about you know 40 to 50 years and so when when kenya was um liberated from the colonialists the country was left divided uh literally uh before colonization we had tribes you know of course we had tribal war and things like slavery even existed before colonization but they were enhanced after colonization because uh, the british found that if they divided people along tribal lines they could actually control them even without them being present physically in kenya so until now, you find that uh, the country is divided uh, along tribal lines. And every five years, uh, when we have national elections, like presidential elections, we typically have what is called post-election violence. So where a lot of the time the elections are disputed, you know, uh, the winners uh, most likely uh, rig the election because they control everything. They control the system. They control uh, the media, they control the army, the police. So in 2008, I had just graduated from college at that time. But in 2008, we had had election in 2007 that were very, very bitterly contested. So in early 2008, the country was at a standstill. You know, uh, 
over a thousand people were killed and uh, I I was a DJ I had a radio show like what we are doing right now but it was a reggae DJ that's why I have locks you know and I I was actually physically in Liberia so I voted and then uh, because I I was working as the field director for Africa for a big NGO I flew out of the country the day after voting so I was just following what's going on in Kenya in the news but as a DJ and someone who was becoming influential at the time I had a platform I had a radio show and as the violence was escalating I decided to come back to Kenya because my mom at the time had an orphanage home and uh children were starving there they had eaten everything they had and so they needed strong young men who could find ways around the community to get food into the orphanage and i was one of those people i had connections so i was like i have to go back home to either help them get food or help evacuate them so in the process of doing that as i was driving back home after i landed at the airport in kisumu I realized that a lot of the young people who are actually causing the violence, fighting, killing each other were all people that attended our shows, you know, they were all people who listened to our radio show. So, uh, an idea just came to me while I was still driving home, uh, you know, that we should organize a concert that could bring all these people together uh, so that we can unite and figure out an alternative to the violence, you know. And so that's where the idea of One Vibe Africa came from where we organized this amazing concert um it was the first public gathering after the violence erupted and so as a young person at the time I was really moved by seeing that an idea that I had actually happened but it did not just happen but it was the only thing that brought people together after weeks and weeks of fighting and so since then I have uh, continued to organize events uh, for example the Madaraka festival that I organize here in Seattle since 2014 is uh, exactly as a result of what happened right after those uh, post election violence so I'm a believer that uh, music has the power to bring people together music has the power to transform communities and that's why I started One Vibe Africa so currently One Vibe Africa does amazing things can I talk about that or wait for a moment you can talk about that but I think <laughs> but how you started that is so moving how you're able to use your platform and use it for something positive and spreading light into the world um especially like i think looking back and helping those in need instead of just like moving forward is a great way to like live your life yeah i i agree i agree it's uh for for me i feel that if you see a problem in your own community and you don't do anything about it then you are responsible for that problem and so i took it upon me that because i can't be the president but i can at least make our own community a livable place you know and uh at the time we didn't have any music programs we didn't youths were being given alcohol and drugs by politicians and being forced to fight against each other so as a DJ at the time I was like I was imagining that if all these youths had DJ gears if all these youths had guitars if all of them had trumpets I don't think they would be out in the street you know and over the last almost 15 years we've tested it and you know it's true some of them are now touring Europe as musicians some of them have bigger recording studios than us as the organization that developed them and so it's true that an idle mind is the devil's workshop you know 
if you don't uh, occupy yourself with um, creative things and things that are productive to society you end up becoming destructive uh, to society there's an african proverb that says that a child that is not embraced by the village will burn the village up in order to feel the warmth of the village so a lot of the young people in our community were literally burning the community in order for them to feel hard in order for them to feel um you know seen very powerful well i definitely think that your like the music bringing community together is definitely true because here at our radio station i definitely feel that sense of community as well just like music uplifting people all the time it's really nice yeah that's true that's true music is a form of healing too you know besides just creating jobs uh creating opportunities you know uh even even when you when you don't make any money from music and you play it just for fun when you stop you feel good and that feeling of feeling good is some form of healing it's like when you take medicine you feel you feel a little better you know can you tell us some of the work that you did for your organization one by africa in the beginning yeah in the beginning uh we didn't have a lot of resources i was not even in the us at the time so what we did is i brought dj's and friends of mine to talk just to talk to youths and to tell children that you know uh this is my story and uh you could, you have a story too you know and from sharing testimonials and just stories uh then i began asking friends of mine who are in the music industry to come and demonstrate what they do to these young people so dj's would bring their gears and just show kids how to dj then i started bringing elders who are in their 80s uh, 70s because i realized that a lot of young people also forget their roots where they come from so we began bringing elders who played traditional african music to hang out with young people and show them how to play traditional african music instruments for example when we met i had nyatiti the eight string traditional music instrument and um i learned it as a result of the work we were doing with these elders some of them are no longer with us and uh, the skills they taught us we continue carrying those skills on we also brought in painters artists who did artwork and they taught kids how to put their feelings their emotions onto a piece of canvas and i brought those paintings here to seattle uh and i still have some in my house here on masa island uh so the program has continued to grow you know now as a result of the funds we've been raising through madaraka festival we've been able to build a recording studio uh back in kenya in the same slum where i grew up in the same slum where all these young people are fighting and killing each other you find the space that we've built you know it's a big story three story building we have a film production studio we have a dance studio uh we also do uh, digital marketing uh training so we train people on tech skills you know so it's just a uh, it's a hu- it's a hub of activities uh but it started really really small and we 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 never really knew what we were putting ourselves into um so those are some of the things that one vibe africa do in Kenya but here in Seattle we organize uh, a dinner series an African dinner series that you know provides nutritious authentic African food a lot of people like me who moved here from Africa we we don't even know where to find African food 
So since 2016, uh, through One Vibe Africa, we've been collecting a database of chefs. So every for a while, we were doing it every month. We were organizing a dinner where maybe this month it's a Ugandan dinner, next month it's a Zimbabwean dinner. But we kept in touch with these chefs. We learned where they live. We have their email addresses, the kind of cuisines they cook. So we continued to grow this. Uh, for example, in April 15th of this month, yeah, this is still April of this year, <laughs> we had, I think, the biggest of this dinner series. Uh, since 2016, this one was the biggest, especially because it was sponsored by um, this organization called Health Commons Project that was they've been given 12 million by the Washington State Department of Health to distribute this money to organizations in the African diaspora that are doing work to mitigate COVID-19 misinformation. So food is such an important part of uh, building culture. And so that's one of the things we do here in Seattle, the African dinner series. But also every uh, February during Black History Month, we organize an event called Kijiji Night uh, as part of Black History Month celebration. For like five years, we did it at Seattle Art Museum. This year, we did it at Langston Hughes Performing Arts Institute. And next year, we really don't know where we will do it yet. We are still figuring out where we need to take it. But the idea of all the One Vibe activities here in Seattle is to also bring life to spaces that are less frequented by people so that, uh, you know, for example, with the dinner series, we bring, uh, you know, food traffic to African restaurants that are almost running out of business. And after we do like three dinner series, their businesses begin thriving again, you know, because we create amazing content that we share with the people. And uh, we just talk about, you know, the kind of food that you find in such places. So those are some of the things that One Vibe Africa is doing. But we also collect music instruments, you know, like right now as we speak, we have a 40-foot a container that we are, we are filling up with instruments in Lake Stevens. And once it's all filled up, we will ship it to Kenya. Uh, the last few years, we've been filling up another container in Germany. It just arrived in Kenya a few, like two weeks ago. So uh, the idea is as we grow the program in Kenya, we also take the blueprint of the success we are having to other countries that also need similar help. So we are supporting other programs in Uganda and in Tanzania uh, that are also providing free music education. Um, so even right now as we speak, we, are, we have Madaraka Festival here at Benaroya Hall, here in Seattle, Benaroya Hall, May 26th. And part of the reason why we're doing that is to continue growing this work that One Vibe Africa has been doing. Yeah, that's awesome. I love all the resources and how One Vibe Africa is expanding to so many different places and so many different genres of topics, I guess. You uh, kind of did a perfect segue into the next topic. Um, kind of the main topic is food, about traditional Kenyan food. Um, I feel like I haven't really seen any local Kenyan restaurants in Seattle um, do you know of any that you enjoy that kind of reminds you of home? I do. I do. There's a restaurant that I, I go to literally every week. And the owner has become a good friend of mine because I go there a lot. <laughs> it's called Safari Njema. It's in Columbia City. Uh, I would say that's the one I go to the most. Uh, there's another one I go to once in a while. It's in Kent. It's called Rafiki. 
Safari njema by the way the one in Colombia City safari njema is a Kiswahili word it means good news you know good news the the one in Kent is called Rafiki and Rafiki means friend uh, so those are the two most popular Kenyan restaurants in uh, in the Pacific Northwest uh, but honestly the best Kenyan restaurants are in people's homes you know with yes. with this African dinner series I've been doing Sometimes we work with chefs who don't have restaurants but they have um catering businesses you know so they just do catering uh, you know you get the food by order and those have been some of the most um amazing chefs I've met That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um do you typically like cook traditional Kenyan dishes in your home? Yes, yes, yes. I I love um I love uh cooking. I love cooking in general. Uh, but i especially love cooking kenyan food because it definitely make, makes me feel at home even though i'm so far away from home uh i'm a father of three girls you know and uh my girls they criticize some of the food i make but <laughs> <laughs> but they love some of the food i make you know even before it's ready they're already eating you know yeah. <laughs> for example ugali ugali is uh it's like it's made out of corn like maize so maize flour and the way that you cook it is um you boil the water until the water is bubbling and then you add the flour slowly by slowly and you stir it and as it becomes harder you know you know whether it's well cooked by the smell of you know you there's, there's really no recipe but those who know how to cook it well uh, know when it's ready by how it smells you know so you you stir it and it's hard because the the more you stir it the the harder it forms you know it, it's almost like rice that you use to scoop the soup you know a lot of the time we accompany that with kale you know we cut kale really really tiny in, in small small slices from where I come from as I was beginning our conversation today I was talking about Lake Victoria and uh tilapia the best tilapia in the world comes from lake victoria <laughs> so this ugali and kale and tilapia together is like is the best meal you can ever have, we'll have that that's try. that's my favorite that's my favorite but the tilapia is cooked with the bones in it you have to really know how to eat a fish that comes with bones in it That sounds like a super sounds yummy super dish. tasty. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. If you after that you, you you eat that meal when you have no work or school after because it fills you up so much that you can fall asleep right after. <laughs> food coma. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Food coma. <laughs> We love a good food coma. What other dishes are popular in Kenya that a lot of people typically eat? Uh there's a popular very very popular dish is uh, goat barbecue. and goat barbecue is you know typically you take a whole goat and uh then you you know you you slice it into into different pieces but the ribs are very popular you know where you barbecue the ribs and you know I don't know if I should go into how to make it but <laughs> you know this is my favorite one of my favorite like party kind of meal you know uh but after you barbecue the goat um you know there's a special kenyan way of barbecuing the goat you don't put any uh any barbecue sauce is it called barbecue sauce yeah it's called yeah. barbecue sauce yeah barbecue sauce you don't put that but you 
you can put some spices you can put some salt as it's barbe- before it barbecues it's almost like you marinate it you know you you wash it and you use a knife to cut some slices on the meat and you put in spices so that as it's marinating it marinates with these spices uh so when you barbecue it it smells so good like someone who is so far away knows that those guys those guys are about yeah. to have a good time you know? <laughs> anyway you have that with ugali the food i was talking about earlier and we also have this um kenyan salad it's uh it's uh, a mixture of tomatoes and onions and avocado and lemon and uh, coriander it's so good it's called uh kachumbari kachumbari so you have the goat uh, barbecue with kachumbari and ugali that's that's the Perfect best combination yeah yeah and you have it with friends and family a lot of i rarely see people just sit alone to eat that yeah. You know meals in Kenya are for community building too you know we typically cook extra because we expect a guest so by the time you eat if someone knocks at your door you serve them that's something i see that is different with here because here in on Masa Island or even in the US in general i've seen people just eat with their friends just watching you know you can't yeah. do that yeah. you'd be in big trouble in my family back in Kenya if you did that <laughs> Yeah, I remember at my grandma's house we always have so much food like yeah. she's always prepared for a dinner party. Yeah. So everyone always has to be very yes. well fed. Yeah. yeah. But I definitely think meals that have a sense of community are definitely always so different and just hit different than yeah. meals that you don't love. Yeah. Do you think it's hard to find that same sense of community here in Seattle? Yeah, it it, it definitely is, you know, um but me personally like I was saying I'm so oriented to when I see a problem I solve it you know so because of the lack of the sense of community here I began creating my own community you know where instead of just complaining that there is no community here there's no african food I create an african dinner series and so uh, recently I was at one of these african dinner series with my last born daughter who is like 3 4 you know and she she ate until she got she she has a good appetite you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> but this was one of the few days where she was just like daddy i'm tired i've eaten a lot you know <laughs> because we had three different chefs a nigerian chef a kenyan chef and a congolese chef you know so there are so many different varieties so um i would say if there's no community create a community but yes there's definitely a lack of uh community here in the Pacific Northwest. I think that's a good way to live by. Mm-hmm. Um you talked about how you've traveled all over the world. What are some of your favorite food experiences that you remember the most? Yeah, that's a good question. Um man. So, I'll I'll tell you almost every place I've gone to has something special that I can never forget. And the thing is, I remember every place because of the food. But I'll just speak about three places. Uh, there's a country called Malawi. I don't Malawi is it's a it's one of the smallest countries in the world. It's uh in Southern Africa and it's actually considered one of the poorest countries in the world, you know. But they have the hottest pepper in the world too. <laughs> and then they are right next to Lake Malawi, you know. Oh, there I really really loved how they cooked their food, you know, especially 
how they cooked fish. They have these tiny little fish fingerlings that, you know, the way they cooked it. And also if you added the hot sauce that they have, it was just fantastic, you know. And they have uh, a version of ugali that is not as firm as the one from Kenya. It's a little uh, loose, you know. So I just loved that. I, I worked in Liberia too for a while. And there, you know, in Liberia, they also use a lot of pepper. But what I loved there the most was cassava leaves. You know, in many countries, they discard cassava leaves. But in Liberia, they pound cassava leaves and uh, it makes this green, um, you know, green veggie that you, you can eat with rice. Oh, I ate a lot of it, you know. I ate a lot of rice because of how cassava leaves were so good. But in Sudan, in South Sudan, you know, I worked in South Sudan for a while too. And there, uh, they, you know, they use a lot of oil in their food, you know, a lot of oil. But I really loved, um, they have this bread that you dip in the oil. It, because it's too hot there, almost have too much oil because of, of how hot it is there. So they eat a lot of oil and a lot of sugar. So they have the bread that we dipped in oil and I was literally addicted to that. But also they have the tea and the tea there, they serve it in small tiny cups and they put a lot of sugar in it. <laughs> so I just loved those. I would say, um, honestly, when I think about living here in the U.S., I, I, I honestly love sushi. You know, sushi is my favorite. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's the only thing that is not African completely besides even the raw fish that you find in sushi restaurants is definitely not African Like because you have to cook the fish in most of the African countries I've traveled to. But I just love sushi. <laughs> you mentioned the oil and the bread. Um, is that more of like an olive oil or like a palm oil? Uh, I think it's palm oil. I think it's palm oil. You rarely interact with olive uh, o- olive oil in in a place like Sudan, but palm oil is popular. Yeah, that's cool. How does it differentiate from like olive oil and other types of oils? More sweet, you would say, or uh, so palm oil. It's so like it can it can dye your clothes. Like if you're eating it, it even your fingers. I think. It's not so refined, you know, because it's it's made in Africa. You know, it's a, a lot of the palm oil that is consumed in a place like South Sudan comes from Liberia, you know. And when I was working in Liberia, I could actually see the process of harvesting palm oil. They also make palm wine, you know. Uh, but it's really orange and very, um, very strong, even in the smell. So I would say that it's not so uh, processed. I was in Ghana a few months ago, and we went to this village, and we saw the entire process of the lady making palm oil. Um, By the end of it, her hands were definitely stained orange. Right, right, right. But it was really, really interesting to see. I think it's cool how it's orange. Like, olive oil and all other oils are such boring colors. But this is, like, orange. It's a really pretty color, Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about your podcast called The African Father in America. Uh, How did you decide to create this podcast? And, like, how did you decide, like, the subject matter of African proverbs and African culture? Yeah, that's a a good one. You know, um, 
once I had my first daughter, I knew that I'll always be a father, you know. And uh, because I, I'm living here in America, I knew that I'll always be an African father in America. Even though I go to Africa almost every year, sometimes I go twice a year, like this year. And also I knew that I love African proverbs. You know, growing up, my mother used African proverbs to educate us, to 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 congratulate us when we did something good, uh, to warn us when she was just about, you know, in Kenya, sometimes you got pinched a little, you got slapped a little. <laughs> you got, we even got spanked a little. So you knew, like there are certain proverbs, if you're about to get in trouble, you know that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then my grandmother, my grandfather, neighbors, they did the same, you know? So coming here, uh, to the U.S. for a while, uh, I didn't really embrace the African culture until, uh, you know, for a while I was working in corporate America. Then I began working for myself, you know. I, uh, you know, so for a while I was running One Vibe Africa just as a passion project where after work is when I would do it or before work or over the weekends. But now I do that full time and I also run One Vibe Media, which is a media company. So my podcast is being managed by my media company. And so uh, I felt that I want to ground myself in who I am so that my daughters on a day to day basis, they can learn a new African proverb, you know. Uh, but also this uh, my podcast, the African Father in America podcast began um, in February 2020, right around when the pandemic was just beginning. And, uh, you know, around that time also, I had lost a friend, a, a young father like myself had committed suicide in the Kenyan community in Vancouver. You know, Vancouver and this and Seattle are almost the same area. And so we know each other. So it was a very difficult situation to deal with, especially because I interacted with these kids and family. So I felt that I needed a platform where I could actually express myself because if you are so quiet and you don't talk about what is in your heart, sometimes you end up expressing it in the wrong place, you know. That's why I was saying that One Vibe Africa also began as a platform for young people to express themselves in positive ways, you know, away from the violence and the alcohol and the drugs. So this African Father in America podcast it began as a platform for me to ground myself in my culture, but also embrace being a father, a young African father here in America. And uh, over time, I was, you know, sharing proverbs and just focusing on making it something small. But now it's something that, you know, as we speak, it's sponsored by the Washington State Department of Health. I'm doing a series of episodes with them as a sponsor. I've done it with the port of Seattle as a sponsor and I'm continuing to partner with different people. It's a powerful platform. For me, it's the first thing I do when I wake up because I have my podcasting gears in my home office. So when I wake up, you know, uh, I meditate and then I go and record an episode and then I have a live audience. So I have a live audience across multiple uh, social media platforms. So I'm able to promote a lot of the things I do, whether it's One Vibe Africa, whether it's Madaraka Festival, uh, whether it's if I have a client for One Vibe Media. For example, 
one of my clients is Mission Africa, which is uh, a non-profit organization in Urban, in uh, South King County, uh, and they're doing incredible work, you know. So sometimes I just promote work that uh, people do. You know, all my guests on my podcast, I ensure that I talk to them about the African proverb of the day. Then I talk to them about a childhood story, you know, because for me, when I was eight years old, my mother gave me a bicycle so that I could help her distribute milk and bread in our neighborhood. And that was when I began learning that I could be useful to the society. I could become an entrepreneur. I could I could do something. Uh, so I ask my guests that so that I really understand what is it that influenced who they are today? Because for me, that moment when I was eight years old, when I was given that bicycle, influenced who I am today. It influenced even why I wake up so early in the morning every day. And then I talk to them about what makes them most proud about their work, you know. Uh, if they look at everything they've ever done, what is the one thing that, for example, if they were talking to their great-grandchildren, they would say that, you know, of everything I've done, this is something that makes me most proud. And then we talk about actually how people can support them, you know, because I always ask for help. So I want people on my platform to ask for help, you know, because again, this podcast began in the midst of the pandemic. It began because of a crisis. It also began because of the idea of embracing my culture. And I want to encourage people, whether you're Chinese, they're Chinese proverbs. Maybe we need to have a podcast about Chinese proverbs, you know. And so I just feel that when we can embrace indigenous wisdom, we can solve many problems. You know, even people uh, destroy the environment because they don't understand indigenous wisdom. And proverbs get us close to being wiser and understanding what our ancestors thought. Why was this earth more preserved in the years before we came here? And why are we more destructive than the generations that came before us, you know? So um, those are some of the motivations why I started the podcast. Yeah, it's great how you're able to use your podcast to connect not only yourself to your culture, but also others around you to your culture, because I think podcasts can be so powerful in that way, using your voice to just like reflect on like what's happening to you and what's happening around you. Um, yeah, so totally. next let's talk about your Madaraka Festival. Um, so where is this going to be? When is it? And which guests are going? And like, how can we sign up? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm very passionate about Madaraka Festival. It's, uh, as I was saying earlier, uh, it began really back in Kenya uh, after the post-election violence. And so when I moved to Seattle, I, I began meeting with people in the community and asking them to help me grow this idea that through a, a powerful music platform, you can solve problems in the community. So uh, in 2014 at the Museum of Pop Culture, at that time it was called uh, it was called Experience Music Project, right at the Seattle Center. We hosted this beautiful, uh, you know, festival. Maclemo and Ryan Lewis were the headliners, uh, and you know, shout out to them for being so kind to headline an African festival. <laughs> So they gave it a good name from the very beginning and shout out to their trumpeter at the time, Owora Runga, who was an ambassador for One Vibe Africa at that time. So since then, 
I've been persistent. You know, when you look at my podcast, I broadcast Monday to Friday, 6 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And I never fail unless I'm traveling or unless I have a big project that I'm doing. With Mararaka Festival, since we started, we've never missed a year. Every year we do it, even during the pandemic. And so even CNN did a story for 30 minutes last year about it, you know, because they looked throughout the world to find an African festival that is live music and that has been persistent and consistent for the last 10 years. And it was only Madaraka that they could find, you know. So they were here for three days. They came to my house and uh, I was able to, to talk about what we are talking about now with CNN, which is something... Since I grew up in Manyata Slam, I didn't know that could ever happen to me. So uh, Madaraka Festival last year was the most successful. We had over 10,000 people at the waterfront in Seattle, you know. Crazy. And it was a free event. But this year it's at Benaroya Hall on May 26th. Uh, if you go to Benaroya Hall's website, you can sign up. Uh, I will give uh, Chloe and Haley uh, the, the discount code. So that you can all, if all the listeners of this show can get, uh, you know, the discount code. But um, this year is also the year where we are expanding Madaraka Festival. So before we come to Seattle on May 26th, on May 16th, we'll be in New York at Irvin Plaza in Manhattan. On May 21st, we'll be in Atlanta at Buckhead Theater. And on May 24th, we'll be at the House of Blues in Dallas. We are we have a lineup of the most decorated artists in Africa right now. For example, Sauti Soul, who are um, it's a it's a pop band consisting led by four guys. You know, these are four guys that met in high school, playing guitar, and uh, now they, last week they were just on Forbes, uh, you know, Forbes Africa, uh, you know, and they've won so many awards, but they're extremely talented. Uh, so they are on the lineup, they're headlining. Then we have Eddie Kenzo from Uganda, you know. Um, and Eddie Kenzo is the only Grammy-nominated artist from East Africa this year, you know. And then we have King Kaka, who is another Kenyan artist. We have Drez, who is a Zimbabwean artist. Uh, he grew up in Seattle. His father actually was amongst the first African artists to move to the Pacific Northwest. Then we have Anthony Cole, who is... At Trinidad, he's from Trinidad and Tobago. He plays reggae music and he's also the president of Black Employee Network at Amazon. Then we have Tacoma Refugee Choir. We have incredible DJs. So it's just a beautiful lineup. And uh, I just urge you to go to madarakafestival.com. Uh, that's the website for the festival. You can learn more about it uh, and you can be a part of the most incredible, you know, African experience. Uh, in the U.S. currently, you know, everyone is talking about Madaraka Festival. And uh, for me, I'm just proud of the impact that it has, you know, the the fact that, you know, over 2,000 youths are now, you know, acquiring jobs and opportunities as a result of this festival here uh, that started here in the Pacific Northwest, really on Masa Island, because I am from Masa Island. Uh, many people don't know that such a thing is happening because of someone who lives here. So uh, it's work that I am now more proud of than when I began because now people get to tell me, my daughters get to attend and they get to tell me what they think, you know. So um, I just have a deep appreciation 
of um, what we are doing, but it's not easy work, you know. It's work that requires me to wake up so early in the morning uh, and go to bed late. So it's it's labor of love, you know. <laughs> but that yeah. sounds like a super exciting event. Um, yeah. It's so awesome how you got so many, like, esteemed guests after being after being like such a prestigious festival after all these years. Yeah. And it's like all your hard work is finally paying off with getting like Grammy nominated and like global renowned artists. Yeah, it's uh it's really when you're persistent, people know. When you're consistent, people want to be associated with what you're doing because they know that uh it's going to be around for a while. You know, people want to invest their their time in it, you know. Yeah, well, again, a huge congratulations on your super successful festival. Um, Haley and I and Grace are excited to see yeah. how everything turns out. And we'll definitely spread the word and Thank try to you. get some of our friends to come. You're all wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, I think that's all we have for this week's episode of Eating Adventures. Thank you so much for joining us today, Simon. We had such a fun time talking to you and learning about more about your organization and your podcast, as well as your favorite foods from Kenya. Thank you. This was the best interview I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you you for joining us again. Of course. Um, You can listen to Eating Adventures on your favorite podcast platforms like Amazon Music, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. You can also listen to Eating Adventures every Wednesdays at noon. And thank you for listening to 88.9 The Bridge.